Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. And Father, the battle belongs to you, Lord, and you lead us in triumphal procession, Father. We have the victory, Lord Jesus, in our Christian life because, Lord Jesus, you are victorious. You defeated death, hell, the grave, the world. You overcame it all. And we're following you, Lord Jesus. We're not following no man. We're not following no organization. We're following you, Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible, the true and living God, who Hebrews 13, 8 says is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, we magnify you. Church, I just ask you right now, as we're praying and transitioning over to teaching, I want you to pray, each of you guys individually, that the Holy Spirit will open your hearts in this moment of prayer. You pray. Say, God, please open my heart. Please open my heart to the Bible. Please open my heart to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Holy Spirit, please open our hearts as we dive into these amazing chapters in Revelation. Help us to see the truth and help us to walk in freedom and joy and peace. And in the joy of the Lord, we love you and praise you. Open our hearts this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And my brother Paul, if you see any hands raised, he will grab you a Bible. But it looks like everybody's good. Yes, yeah, that's how we, that's how we roll at Calvary Chapel. We study the Scriptures verse by verse. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation. We're going to do something we haven't done in a very long time. We're going to make it through two chapters today. Through two chapters. Revelation chapter 15 and Revelation chapter 16. And the reason why we're going through both of these chapters is because they go together. They go together. What we're looking at this morning is the final bold judgments. The final bold judgments in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation. Uh, I believe there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible and... The chapter that we're looking at this morning, you are looking at, you are studying this morning, the most intense chapter of all the Bible. In other words, it, it doesn't get any darker than what we're studying this morning. But we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because, you know, you may say, David, why can't you just talk about God's love and God's grace and peace and mercy and joy? Why can't you just talk about those things? Why? Because we give you the whole counsel of God at Calvary Chapel. We want you to know about his love, his, his grace, his mercy, but we, we also want you to know that God is equally holy, that God is equally holy. And one day, God is going to judge the world in righteousness. It's like a freight train coming, and it will come. It will come. And we need to be prepared. Someone may ask, you know, you start talking about judgment, people start getting a little antsy and like, oh, why do, why do, why do we got to talk about judgment? You know, people get upset when churches talk about judgment. But, but, but what's the benefit? I want to give you the benefit, the benefits, three benefits for studying the judgments of God in Scripture. Number one, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. As we study the judgments of God in the book of Revelation, as they are going to be future in the great tribulation, you need to understand that is grace to the listeners. Because what God is doing, it's like an open book test. He's telling you what's going to happen ahead of time. 
so that you can prepare today by trusting in Christ. And you won't have to worry about these judgments. So again, it's mercy. It's grace. God says, I'm going to do this in the future. You prepare now. Number two, and I'm going to go over these at the end of my message again because these are the points I'm driving home in my teaching. Number two, the second benefit of studying God's judgments is uh, because the judgments of God are sure to come, it should give us a sense of urgency to call people to repentance and true faith in Christ. Knowing that the tsunami is coming, knowing that the tidal wave is coming, it might be tomorrow, it might be 100 years from now, no man knows the day or the hour, but you can be sure of this, it is coming. And because we know it's coming, we should call our friends and our loved ones and our families and all people to repentance and faith. Gives us a sense of urgency for evangelism. Number three, this is the most beautiful. I feel like the Lord gave this to me in my study this week uh, as I was meditating on this passage. The third benefit of studying the judgments, the future judgments of God in Scripture is it helps us appreciate the cross. It helps you appreciate the cross. For it was there at the cross that Jesus bore the judgment of God in our place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul talks about this. God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we need to understand them. We don't fear them, but we have a, a biblical view, a complete view of who God is, his love, his grace, his righteousness, his judgment, his wrath. You have the complete picture of who God is in scripture. So let's look at this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 15 is like introduction to Revelation chapter 16, but when we get into Revelation chapter 16, it gets dark. It gets dark. So I'm just letting you know now. So let's take a look at it. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. John says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last. Because of in them, the wrath of God is finished. Now, when he says the wrath of God is finished there, that, that, that Greek word is finished there is the exact same word that's used in John chapter 19 when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. I believe it's verse 24, but don't quote me on that. But it is in John chapter 19 where Jesus says, it is finished. It's the exact same word showing this completion, okay? And, and then we also see in verse 1, you see two numbers twice. You see seven angels and seven plagues. The number seven is used eight times in these eight verses of Revelation chapter 15. The number seven is used 55 times in the book of Revelation. How many times do you think it's used in the entire Bible? Over 700 times the word seven. That, the, words, the, the number seven in scripture is a number of completion. It's the number of God. It's the number of completion. It's the number that he chose to work with to be the number that represents him in scripture. In the book of Revelation, you have seven churches, seven spirits. Hang on, I'm gonna try to say this all in one breath. Seven golden lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues. Not done. <sighs> Get another breath. Seven visions, seven bowls, seven mountains, and seven kings. And then when you expand and you look at all of scripture, you have the seven days of creation. Elijah told Naaman to go wash in the Jordan seven times. Peter was told to forgive 70 times. 
Seven. Jesus made how many statements on the cross? Seven. Seven represents fullness and completeness in the scriptures. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the mark of the beast. You know, that number falls short. That number 666 associated with the mark of the beast was, is the mark of fallen man, but the number seven is the perfect man. And what this tells us, this number seven, is uh, God will bring to completion everything he says in his word from the seven days of creation to the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross to these seven final bold judgments. And may I add also this, that brothers and sisters in Christ, he will bring you to completion. As you trust him and you follow him, don't let your heart be worried. Don't be swayed. Be encouraged. He will complete in you his perfect will. Okay? He will complete in you his perfect will. But this seven is a, a number of perfection. We see that he, even here in the, um, in the bold judgments. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. He says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. I can't wait to talk about that, harps of God. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the verse. Verse 2, he says there, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. So John looks up, he sees this vision of heaven, and he sees this beauty, and it's mind-blowing, and it's beautiful. Now, how many of you guys have ever been on Lake Murray? or gone across the Lake Murray Dam on a beautiful sunset. I got a picture for you. This is an actual picture of Lake Murray from the Irmo side of the dam, okay? This is shooting out across the lake. And if you've ever gone out on the lake, which I do quite often when I fish, I love being out there at sunset because right as the sun is setting, it produces all these amazing colors. You look across Lake Murray, which is a blue water, blue sky, but in the sun, you see this red, this blue, this fire, this brown. You see all these beautiful colors. You see all these beautiful colors. And he says here in verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Now, some, some scholars will say the mix with fire is talking about the, 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 the tribulation that the saints went through as they're standing on the sea of glass. But it specifically says in verse 2, a sea of glass mixed with fire. And I couldn't help but to think of the beauty of Lake Murray. You know, if I've had a bad day or just need something positive or encouraging to think about, and I'm in the, in the area of Lake Murray and I go across the dam and I see that, it's just like a medicine to my heart and mind to see that sea of glass and all those refracting colors coming off the lake. But I believe that John in verse 2, had a similar experience. He sees this amazing view of heaven, and, and all he can do is describe it as a sea of glass mixed with fire. And then it says, halfway through verse 2, And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, and standing on the, so they're standing on the sea of glass. But what I like about these guys is, it said, what does it say about them? It says they are victorious. They are victorious. These are not wimps. These are not lighthearted believers. These are devout followers of Christ 
who've endured the bowels of hell during the great tribulation in service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, okay? These are warriors. These, these, these are, um, if you haven't been with us, these are the tribulation saints that went through the seven-year great tribulation. They endured the wrath. They endured the destruction. They served Christ to the end. He sees them here in heaven. But these are warriors. These are fighters. There's nothing weak about these men and women who have overcome, who have overcome. You know, I'm telling you, if your guard is not up and your faith is not strong and you're not focused, you know, we live in a world that's going to eat you up. We live in an ungodly world that's going to chew you up and spit you out. You need to put on the, the battle array of the Lord. You need to put on the full armor of God. You need to brace yourself in the days to come and say, Lord Jesus, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to serve you. No matter how dark this world gets, I'm going to live my life and surrender to you. I'm going to hate sin, and I'm going to love righteousness. That's the kind of people that makes it through the great tribulation. That's the, these, these tribulation saints he's talking about. But you and I, we need to fight the good fight. We need to fight the good fight. It's coming, it's coming, it's, we're living in a day and age where we're beyond the point of just having to, well, I believe, but we're living in a day and age where we have to stand for our values and we have to live out what we believe and we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. We need to have some intestinal fortitude to live for the Lord. And listen, look at what it says. I joke around a lot. I joke around a lot. And you probably heard me in the past couple of months you know, I'm like, listen, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be like harps and not these angels floating around on clouds and playing the, the, the harp. Because it says, but look at what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, they're holding the harps of God. I got some encouragement for Dusty, Denise, Maurice, and Kevin. If you look up harps and Vines Expository Dictionary, the, the Greek word for vines is kathar, which we get our English word, guitar. Guitar. So I don't, I don't know what's up with these churches who don't like to play guitar. Okay? It's biblical. Okay? Right there. Go look it up in Vines Dictionary. The, the word uh, harps is kathar. In the English translation of the word kathar is Guitar. So we are going to be playing guitars in heaven, praise the Lord. I like guitar. You like guitar? I love the guitar. I love some acoustic guitars. I love some electric guitars. But brothers and sisters, there's going to be guitars in heaven. So, hey, learn to play the guitar. Get a head start. Because it says when we get to heaven, the word says, well, these are tribulation saints, but this is happening in heaven. We'll be there. It says they're holding the harps of God. They're holding the cathars of the Lord God. Let's look at what they're singing. It says, verse 3, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations. Some of your translations say, King of the ages. I love that title. King of the nations, King of the ages. There's one president there's one leader of this universe. 
And he's not in Washington. He's not in Russia. He's not in any of the continents around the world. He's in a place called heaven, and he's on his throne. He is the king of the nations. He is the king of ages, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Verse 4, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Okay, here we go again. We've talked about this in the past. To, to understand the book of Revelation, you've got, you got to have some kind of familiarity with the Old Testament. And what John is talking about here, he's referring to, he's referring to the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses can be uh, found in Exodus chapter 15. And I'm going to give you a little, little piece of it. It's a long song, but I'm going to give you one verse of it. Exodus 15, 1 says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its riders have been hurled into the sea. So as they were delivered from Egypt, as they were delivered from the Red Sea, they had this song on their lips as God led them out of Egypt. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. How about, I don't know about you, but if I would have been there and I would have seen this Red Sea part and I would have seen those miraculous things that really did happen, I would have been like, wow, great and exalted are you, Lord. Okay? And these tribulation saints in the, in the, in the, in the future, they're going to see the great and marvelous deeds of the Lord as he by his mighty right hand delivers them and takes them through the, the great tribulation. This is a song. It, it is a, uh, the song of Moses is a song of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. But now here we move forward into the New Testament and into the future. It has now become the song of the lamb. Just as Israel had a song of deliverance coming out of Egypt, so believers will have a song of deliverance coming out of the great tribulation. And another thing, I I like to look at words, and I like to look at verses, and when I see a word repeated over and over, it grabs my attention. And in verses 3 and 4, the word you or your is used six times. It's used six times in those two verses. And this tells me how the tribulation saints made it through the great tribulation. Their focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ. Their focus was completely on him. Friends and family, the bluff, the bottom line up front, that's how you make it through this world, okay? You place Christ first. You place Christ first on your life, in your life. You surrender your life to him. You say, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe in my heart God raised you from the dead. I turn from my old life. I put my trust in you. I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. And that is the key to making it through this ungodly world. Let's continue. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, After these things I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. That's talking about the, uh, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Here we're seeing the Old Testament imagery brought forward in the New Testament as God has turned his attention back to the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation. He says, I saw the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open." And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, girded around their, choice, their, around their chest with golden sashes. This is what this is doing here, as I said a while ago, is this chapter is a preparation 
for Revelation chapter 16, and God is preparing for the grand finale. He's getting ready for the big boom, boom. That's, you know what that is? That's the big fireworks show. He's getting, he's getting ready. Verse 7, he's putting the angels in place. He's putting the creatures in place. And he's saying, guys, it's almost showtime. Verse 7, it says, Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Family, this is, a, this is here in verses 5 through 8. This is a very vivid, electrifying um, scene in heaven. We see glory. We see power. We see smoke. We see angels arrayed in splendor as heaven prepares for the final judgment on earth. And if you weren't with us last week, I taught, oh no, I wasn't here last week, I was in Charleston. The week before, I talked about, we need to be thankful for the judgment of God. We need to be thankful for what we're fixing to read. Because how many guys want to see the, the world rid, uh, all evil removed, all wrongdoing removed, all disease removed, all sickness, all death, all sin? Well, the book of Revelation is what this is, okay? This, this is God cleaning house from what, how we have messed it up, how man in his fallen state and sinful state has, has messed it up. So he's getting it ready. Let's move into chapter 16 because it flows. It, it all goes together because he says, Then, after what we just read, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast, who, who worshipped his image. So this first bowl here is very similar, again, go back to the Old Testament, is very similar to the sixth plague in Egypt, which in Exodus, it's called the, the bowls and sores. But here we have um, loathsome and malignant sores. You know, there are consequences for following Satan. There are consequences for taking the mark of the beast. Now, if you've been with, the, if you've been with us through any amount of the Revelation study, we've seen week after week after week opportunity to repent, opportunity to repent. You know, it seemed like every other week, you saw grace in the book of Revelation. But these people, man, this is the final whoever's left, and they are just bent on hating God, turning from God, and they're bent on destruction. So there's consequences for following Satan and taking the mark of the beast. They could have followed Christ. They had the opportunity, according to the book of Revelation, yet they chose to follow the Antichrist, and now they are experiencing the consequences. And may I, may I add, they are nasty and ugly the word loathsome there, um, the word loathsome, if you look up the word, it means painful. The word malignant, it means nasty and oozing. I'll stop right there because I don't want to ruin our lunch. But uh, the bold judgments, the severity of these bold judgments, they remind us, again, that there are consequences for rebellion. There are consequences for sin. And there's consequences for choosing the, the, the wrong path of life. You know, God offers us 
life. He offers us joy. He offers us salvation. He offers us peace of mind. But some people, they just don't want it. They just don't want it. And apart from God, you know, our life will self-destruct. Our, our, our life will come to ruins. But with God, he makes all things new and he restores them. So there's, there, I, I don't know what more to add to that, but there's going to be this severe abnormalities of physical ailments to these people that are still on the earth. And we're here, we're at the very end of the, of the um, Great Tribulation. Many scholars believe that, uh, that these final seven bowls, they happen really fast. Bam, 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 bam. And the reason they believe that is because we're going to see the water supply attacked. We're going to see all kind of cataclysmic things happen. And we know man can't live but a couple days without water. Okay? So it's gonna, they're going to happen quickly. The second one, look at the second one, verse 3. It says, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. So here we have the second bowl judgment. There's, um, and we see the ocean life. The ocean life is, is, is destroyed. You know what? I really hate this. I really hate this because I really love sushi and I really love snapper, but there's going to be no more saltwater life on the earth. As, as the water, it says, uh, if, if you, back at Revelation chapter 8, verse 8, it says that a second angel sounded. There was a great burning mountain with fire, and it said that the third of the sea became blood. But this says that it'll, it'll, it'll become like the blood of a dead man. The blood of a dead man is coagulated blood. It's not liquid. It's more like a gel. So this is going to be really, really, really bad, and it's going to be disgusting. It's, it's going to be tough as, as things are brought to a close. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, um, Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Now we're getting really close to home. We're getting really close to home as, as, the, as the judgment of God falls on the springs and, and the rivers, you know, um, this, that's why I said this has to take place very close to the second coming of Christ at the end of the Great Tribulation, which will be there in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, because life can't survive without water. Life can't survive without water. Does anybody know the science behind water on planet Earth? If you don't, here's, here's the science. Here's some interesting facts. 70% of planet Earth is covered by water. You can look these up. These are solid stats. 97% of that water is salt water. It's, and it's covered, it's the oceans. We can't drink salt water, okay? 2% of that 100% is fresh water locked up in the polar ice caps and the glaciers. We can't drink that because it's frozen. One, only 1% of the earth's water is the water coming from the springs and rivers, that means, family, that you and I, our survival depends on 1% of the earth's water. That's an interesting thought to consider. 
You know, we need, we need to conserve our water. We need to be good stewards of our water. But again, it's, it's interesting, man. The one thing that man has to have to survive is water, and yet we live on 1% of, of the earth's water. So this will, when this takes place, this will be, um, this will be pretty rough in the closing days of the great tribulation. So the, so the water, ocean, judgment comes, waters in the spring, judgment comes. Let's continue verse five. He says, and I heard the angel of the water saying, righteous are you who, who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. You know, some would argue, why would God do this? Why would God do this? Why would God do this to the, to the world? What you need to understand is this. Sin has corrupted everything. Sin has corrupted everything. The, the book of Romans talks about creation groans. You know, creation, creation is loving this, by the way, I believe. Creation is loving this during the Great Tribulation. Mankind don't love it because we worship life, but creation loves it because he's, he's going to make all things new, and he's bringing judgment to, to, to rid the world of everything that's sinful and everything that's evil. Look at verse 6. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. So these people that are living at the end of the great tribulation what does it say they'll do? They'll be doing? They'll be murderers. They'll be very evil and corrupt people. When it says they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, that means that they will persecute, hate, and destroy anything that is Christian. Verse 7, and I heard the altar saying, uh, yes, O Lord God and Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Notice he says in verse 6, that phrase at the very end, it says what? They deserve it. It's an interesting statement that John makes here in this chapter. He says they deserve it. And then at the end of verse 7, he says, true and righteous are your judgments. So just in case you're thinking this is not fair, you need to understand that those who perish had every opportunity to repent and turn from their sin. But they chose darkness. They chose sin. They chose death. And the, ungod the ungodly world will put believers and prophets, and anyone who speaks the truth of God in the Bible to death. Remember, friends, from the book of Romans, sin has consequences, okay? Romans 6.23 says, brings a whole new meaning to this verse, for the wages of sin is what? Is death, is death. And in verse 6, the angel says there, um, they got what they deserve, they got what they deserve. That's how far and that's how bad it will be during the end of the tribulation. Verse 8, let's continue. He says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. So here in verses 8 and 9, God is causing this, this cataclysmic shift in the sun, in the earth, and it's, gonna, it's going to scorch mankind. Have you ever seen the sun catch something on fire? Young people, pin your ears. Don't listen to this, okay? 
But back when I was a kid, we used to have this game we would play. Not a game. It's not a game. It was very stupid. And my, my dad would, they, they would light me up for doing it when I got caught doing it. But we'd take a magnifying glass. We'd hold it over our skin, and me and my friends, and we'd see who could hold it the longest. Because <laughs> what the magnifying glass is doing is it's magnifying the sun rays to a little spot on your skin, and it starts burning, and it starts hurting. It starts hurting. But that's what it's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like. It says there they're going to, men will be scorched with fierce heat. It will come from this cosmic thing happening um, with the sun. It will be intense. But notice what verse 9 says. Um, the, it says, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. When I read that phrase in verse 9, it says they did not repent so as to give him glory, that makes me think they had an opportunity to repent. There's grace. Even in this late hour of the great tribulation, when the wrath is being poured out, people will still refuse to repent. I don't don't, don't know about you, but it it would just take a little bit of hard times, just a little bit of encountering these things in the book of Revelation to make me say, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting right with the Lord. I'm getting right with him. I'm, I'm going to do things right. But they wouldn't. It says at the end of verse 9, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. So that tells me they, they had an opportunity to repent, but they said, no, we're not going to repent. It's, it's my way. I'm, I'm doing it my way and not God's way. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven, verse 11, because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So here we have God pouring out his wrath on the leaders of the great tribulation. The Antichrist himself, Satan, the Antichrist the false prophet, we talked about those guys a couple weeks ago, even they are deceived and they think that during the great tribulation that they can rule the world, but even they will fall and be crushed by the bold judgments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Because they are the ones that, that lead the world astray. They are the ones that bring the darkness. They are the ones who bring the spirit of the Antichrist. But yet, God in his awesome power and sovereignty will crush Satan. He'll crush the forces of darkness. They will bow. You know, some people think, you know, there's this cosmic battle going on in the universe between God and Satan. Well, I'm here to tell you, there is no cosmic battle going on between God and Satan. God is the ruler. God is sovereign. He is in control. And, and Satan, Satan don't stand a chance. The devil don't stand a chance. The powers of darkness don't stand a chance. Their day is numbered. They know it's coming, and it will come. Verse 12. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings, kings of the east. Now, I'm really just going to read through verses 12 through 16, 
And the reason why I'm not going to dive into them very deeply is because what he's talking about here, he's getting into what we call the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? And we see this a lot in Scripture. The authors of Scripture, we see this in the Gospels. We see this in the book of Revelation. They were given snapshot pictures. A picture here, a picture here, a picture here. And the Battle of Armageddon is actually talked about in three places in the book of Revelation. It's talked about two chapters ago. It was talked about here in Revelation um, verses 12 through 16 is talked about. It's also talked about in Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21. So when I get to Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21, I'm going to revert back to the battle of Armageddon. Because what John is seeing in these final five or six chapters of Revelations, they're snapshot pictures. He sees a picture here. He's talking about the battle of Armageddon. And then he shifts, he shifts topics. And he talks about another situation that's taking place during the Great Tribulation. And then two chapters later, he goes back to the battle of Armageddon. So instead of piecemealing it to you, I'm going to give it to you all in one teaching. And we'll talk more about that, the battle of Armageddon. But uh, verse 13 says, well, verse 12 This great river, the Euphrates, that's a river that's standing today. It's in modern-day Iraq. It's a very large and a very wide river. But we see that that river is going to be dried up. It's going to make way for the armies, make way for the armies from the east to come against Israel. This is going to be part of that final battle of Armageddon that we'll talk about when we get to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Um, And then verse 13, he says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon... And out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. You guys like frogs? Some people like frogs, some people don't. But for the most part, people think frogs are what? Disgusting. They're gross. People don't like to touch them. They're ugly and green unless you're an animal lover, which I ain't got nothing against frogs. I like them. But, but here, he, 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 he uses the phrase frogs. To describe, to describe these bad guys, the, which, is, by the way, this is the unholy trinity of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist, the false prophet. And, uh, but the frogs, they're disgusting. And this speaks of how foul and how evil they truly are. And he says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon. We've already learned from past studies that the dragon is Satan, that he will... Uh, He's going to, in the battle of Armageddon, he's going to send out these evil spirits that have a frog-like description. I'm just going to say they're, they're how foul they are. They're going to gather the leaders of the world, of what's left in the world, to make a final battle against the Lord Jesus Christ and his army. And that is, that is a very foolish mistake, as we'll see when we get to Revelation chapter 19. But there's going to be these unclean spirits like frogs that go out to summons the leaders. Verse 14. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. So we see during the great tribulation that Satan and the Antichrist, that there will be, they will have some kind of supernatural powers. They'll perform signs and wonders, you know. Deuteronomy even says that false teachers and the demonic have the ability to perform signs and wonders. So signs and wonders can and do happen under the influence of demonic 
spirits. And that's what he, the Antichrist is going to use during the Great Tribulation to bring in what's left of the world leaders. Verse 15, here we have a parenthetical statement. It's as if whatever believers are there or, 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 or in the midst of, of this chaos, it's like a word of encouragement comes to them at verse 15. Look at what he says. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. You know, he says, behold, I come like a thief. That talks about the unexpected return of Christ. It's just going to happen. It's going to be in the moment. It's going to be in a flash like lightning that strikes the earth and boom, it's gone. So is it going to be with the return of Christ as he returns to this world. He says, blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes. That phrase is, ta- is used to talk about um, we are to stay active in our faith. We are to stay the course in reading the word, stay the course in spending time in fellowship, serving Christ, living our lives for him. We're to stay awake, stay spiritually awake. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall into sin. And so that they will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. You know, when you don't have Christ in your life, it's it's, it's like you're naked and ashamed at the guilt of all the things that's happened in your life, all the sin, all the rebellion. But when you clothe yourself with Christ, he completely covers you and forgives you of all sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross, family. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sin. He rose from the grave to prove that he is the eternal son of God. And today, he comes into people's lives by the Holy Spirit. And when we have him in our life, you are not naked spiritually. You are not ashamed because Christ is in you. You are complete in Christ. He makes you whole. He, he, he brings everything that you need for life and godliness. He makes us whole. And it says in verse 16, and they gathered them together to the place which is in Hebrew, which is called Armageddon, which we get Armageddon, which we'll talk about that. It's a valley in northern Israel. It's this huge 175-mile-wide valley that many battles have been fought on. But we'll talk more about that in Revelation 19. Verse 17 says, Then the seven angels poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. I find it interesting in verse 17 where he says the the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, because who is the spirit of the power of the air? Satan. He will, he's going to pour out his judgment on Satan. Satan's rule, Satan's kingdom, Satan's dominion will come to a crushing end in the end as Christ defeats him. His judgment will come. And then verse 18, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, it was so mighty. Man, this is going to be, this is going to be cataclysmic. If you like, well, I'll, I'll just say, you don't want to be around 
but it's going to probably be this mind-blowing light show on earth. Maybe we'll be able to watch it from heaven. I don't know. But it's, it's going to be this amazing light show as God rids the world of sin and evil. Verse 19, it says, The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Please stay with me. I'll, I'll talk about these, some of these terms in just a minute. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down upon, from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hell, because its plagues was extremely severe. Now, a couple things here. Basically, in a nutshell, the bluff is this. All hell is breaking loose. The judgment is, is coming to an end, and it's being, it's being complete across the planet Earth. Back in verse 19, the great city, if you look up Revelation chapter 11, verse 9, you, you will, it will tell you that the great city is Jerusalem. So, so Jerusalem is going to be shaken during the great tribulation. Uh, then verse 19, it says Babylon the great uh, was remembered before God. We're going to talk about Babylon the great over the next two weeks as we get into the next two chapters. But Babylon the great is the evil world system. It's, it's a political system. It's a religious system. It's, um, it opposes anything that is Christian or biblical. So it's kind of like the spirit of the air, the spirit of the government, the spirit of the religion of the world that's been established to oppose the Lord. Uh, everything, but, but, what, what, but what we see, though, in verses 17 through 21, this is what you need to understand, that everything spiritual or physical, not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, will come crashing down. That's, what is, that's what's taking place in the book of Revelation, and that's what's taking place. It's, we had the seas, the, the rivers, the water supply, all the, the judgments that we looked over the previous couple of weeks, but basically God is bringing everything that's not founded upon the kingdom of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's bringing it to an end. That's why it's so important, family. And that's why me as a pastor, you know, our job is, is to help you find your identity in Christ, find your salvation in Christ, and for you, to help you build your love in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you join Calvary Chapel Irmo. I hope you become a part of our fellowship, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you know and love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and that you live your life for him. That's our goal, is that you build your life on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, I want to go back I want, to, I want to go back to my opening statement, and I want to give you, and I'll have them up on the screen, three applications to this message. Three applications. Why do we study the judgments of God? Why can't we just talk about the good stuff? 
the, the joyful stuff. Why we got to talk about this tough stuff? Well, here's why. Number one, the first reason why we study the judgments of God, it is God's grace. He is letting us know ahead of time so we can prepare by fully trusting in Christ. In other words, it's an open book test. It's an open book test. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, he told his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion, and he speaks to you and me today through the inspired word, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. Our Lord Jesus, he's gone to prepare a place, and we're going to trust in him. We're going to trust in him, knowing that one day he'll return. He's going to clean everything up. He's going to make everything straight. He's going to make everything right. But we're, we don't fear judgment because, because he has taken the judgment for us at the cross. And we believe the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, meaning that the, the rapture will take place prior to the great tribulation. The second application, because the judgments of God are sure to come, you and I must be quick to call people to repentance and true faith in Christ, okay? We, we need not shy away from talking about judgment. We need not shy away from talking about things to come, okay? We need to warn people. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed once a man to die and then face judgment. Do you realize how long we're going to be gone for when we leave this life? A long, long time. There's nothing more important than people's eternal salvation. And we say it in a spirit of truth, a spirit of love, a spirit of grace, compassionately, non-judgmentally. We, we, I, I witness to someone as if their very salvation depends on it. I don't want to offend them or do anything in and of myself that pushes them away from Christ, but I'm not going to shy away from speaking the truth that they need to repent and put their trust in Christ. And knowing that this is going to take place, it should cause our evangelism endeavors to rise. Third one, finally this, understand the judgments of God help us appreciate the cross. For it was there Jesus bore the judgment of God in our place. You know, this is for the deep theological thinkers. And you should really, every one of us should be interested in this subject. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of his seven statements was this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay? Christianity believes that when Jesus made that statement, that God the Father turned his head and he poured out his wrath on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see all these judgments. We see all this dark stuff taking place in the great tribulation. I mean, this, I, I, I really don't care to preach every Sunday on loathsome and malignant sores, okay? I don't know if that's going to draw a crowd. Not that I care, but I don't know if people want to hear that. But what they need to understand is that all this judgment and all this stuff that takes place in the book of Revelation is pennies, is nothing compared to what happened to Jesus at the cross. All the wrath for our sin, all the judgment for our sin was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you so much, he died on the cross for your sin. 
In other words, the wrath was coming your way because you're a sinner. And Jesus, the wrath was coming your way because you're a sinner. And Jesus said, he stepped in front of you and said, I'll take the, I'll ta- I'll take the wrath. I'll take the wrath. Instead of Dina taking the punishment for her sin, Jesus took the punishment. Instead of Kevin taking the punishment for his sin, Jesus took the punishment. He bore the judgment, the wrath of God for us. You're not going to face judgment. You're not going to face wrath because Jesus did it for you. That's why he's worthy. That's what makes the gospel good news is that he died on the cross to pay the price so that we would not experience the judgments of the tribulation, the judgments of hell. He died on the cross for our sin. I pray and hope that everyone here is a believer, but I just want to remind you as, as we've looked at judgments Reminds you of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, our, everybody's favorite Bible verse, I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day For one person that's listening today, let today be the day you say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I I turn from sin, I turn from the old life, and I put my trust and my faith in you, Lord. Follow him with all your heart and live your life for him because he loves you. God loves you, and he displayed that love at the cross. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for revelation, these two amazing chapters, Father. Thank you for the study of both of them, chapter 15 and 16. Father, we don't walk in fear, Lord, because you paid the price for us at Calvary. We walk in joy. We walk in excitement. We walk in fervent expectation of what you have for us in the future, but Lord, let let this remind us, and Lord, let this enable us to live our lives with an eternal perspective, keeping our eyes on you, Lord. I love you, and I praise you, Father, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you work in every heart this morning, and they look to you, and they follow you, not to escape judgment, not to escape wrath, but they look to you and they follow you because you love them and you showed that love for them at the cross. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Thank you for this morning's study. Amen.